welcome to Organized Crime and Punishment, the best spot in town to hang out and talk about history and crime, with your hosts, Steve and Mustache Chris. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back to the show. I'm Steve and I am joined by our very own Mustache Chris. Mustache, how you doing this fine evening? Oh, I'm doing pretty good myself. I'm pretty excited to talk about the Colombo crime family. It's uh it's one of the more wild stories in the mob. Like the Bonanno family is pretty wild story, but the Colombos are are pretty insane. Yeah, we're pretty much we're piling on one wild story on top of another here. Now, in the, in this episode, we're continuing our flyover summary of the five crime families of New York, five families and five episodes. These episodes are the primer that will be a great reference as Mustache Chris and I dive into many of the incredible stories that involve these families and crimes across the United States and beyond. The focus of today's episode is another family with a really unique story, the Columbo family. The Columbos have experienced ups and downs and all throughout their history. And so, Chris, what would you say is your really quick uh, elevator speech introduction to the Columbo family? What maybe makes them different or unique amongst the organizations we've talked about and will talk about? I'd say out of all the families, the Colombo family is probably the most chaotic and violent is the best way <laughs> I could describe it. Um, you can definitely tell, and we'll get into it later, it's definitely the youngest family out of them all, and it shows in their history. I mean, there's a, there's some there's some similarities with the Bonanos and the Colombos, but the Bonanos didn't really have the type of civil wars that the Colombos had that uh we're gonna get into in a little bit like if i had to pick one word for the colombo family or i guess two would be violent chaos right that's that's the stage for today let's uh as we like to always start off what's what's the early history of the colombo family where do they come from out of all the families the colombo family is actually the youngest uh out of all the, uh, the five major uh uh new york crime families um Actually, it got Joe Provacci is ends up being, he's like going to be like the the leader of the family. It's we call it the Colombo family now, but at the time it would have been called the Provacci family when Joe uh, Provacci was around. And um, 
yeah, he was born in Palermo, Sicily, where a lot of these guys come from, even still to this day. That's where La Costa Nostra is based in Sicily. So he arrived in New York, but then he uh, quickly moved to uh, Chicago, where he ran a grocery store, and uh, but it wasn't successful. So he had to move back to New York, and this is kind of at the time that and from what I've read, this is where he started kind of getting involved in the local gangs in North America. And he also, uh, the, around this time period, started up in all of the oil importing business. So I guess if any of our audiences have watched The Godfather, I mean, that's probably where they got it from. <laughs> was Joe Pravacci running a this olive oil importing business, which I, from my understanding, he just kept it going his entire life. I guess he gave him a little bit of air of legitimacy and it was, was really successful. Um, yeah, from like everything that I've read and even like for like really hardcore, like mafia historians, it's, um, a little difficult to understand just how Joe Perfacci was able to rise up in the, uh, New York uh, mafia scene so quickly. Um, I he had connections back back in Sicily, um, but you know, given that the little amount of experience that he had and kind of just the history that we do know of, like opening up a failed grocery store and importing olive oil, it doesn't really scream to you uh, like this guy's going to be a boss of one of the most powerful crime families in the in in North America. But somehow he does rise up to the to the challenge. Can you talk about uh, after the Castellamarse War, which we'll eventually get into and discuss more? How does Joe Profaci come to the come to the top? Yeah, so uh, he ran like um, basically ran like the gang, like a gang in Brooklyn or what have you. And the 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 Castellamarse War broke out. Uh, we're gonna get into it. We talked about it on previous episodes. But at the you know uh, Salvatore Marizano wins. He's quickly killed. Lucky Luciano takes over Joe Bonanno and all that. But him, uh, Joe Perfacci and Joe Bonanno had a very close uh, friendship. So maybe this is also. One of the ways that Joe Joe Perfacci was able to move up pretty quickly in the uh, in the uh, uh, Italian mafia scene in New York, and uh, between the two of them, they kind of formed like a conservative wing of the commission, is how I would kind of describe it. Um, plus, like if the two of them together, it kept the so say just saying theory that the other three families decided to gang up and they wanted to like take on say just Joe or just uh, a banano they really couldn't do it with joe perfacci and joe banano being tied to the hip the way they were uh so it kind of kept like a balancing uh act within the family itself within the uh commission itself joe perfacci made most of his money you know with the mafia mainstays you know racketeering drug trafficking loan sharking uh but he actually he made a, a fortune during the World War Two when like uh, the demand for olive oil, you know, went through the roof and, you know, he was running an olive oil importing business. So. So it really sounds like he could have been just the he got loaded right guy, right time, like in everywhere in his legitimate businesses and in his uh, mafia businesses. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would describe him as lucky in a way. I mean, he was shrewd enough to take advantage of the luck that presented to him. Right. But I mean, in a lot of ways, he was kind of a lucky guy Um, and he made like a crazy amount of money. Uh, I was 
from my research I was reading, like he actually moved into like uh, Teddy Roosevelt's old house in New York and Joe Perfacci also put on like this this kind of act that he was like a super devout Catholic. And I mean, he donated to a lot of like the community, I guess. But, you know, there was like a push at one point to like get him knighthood by, you know, his friends and family and the Catholic Church was I think they were thinking about it at one point because he just donated so much to the church. And then, you know, people, you know, smarter people stepped in and be like, yeah, do you not know who this guy is? Do you not? <laughs> like it never happened, but it just shows you like uh, the amount of influence that he did have. I mean, and that's a really interesting thing because when somebody is making such boatloads of money from a legitimate enterprise, it's kind of hard to tease out if they really are as criminal as what Joe Profaci was, uh, especially if it's not completely in the open. I mean, these are still secret societies, but all of this eventual criminal activity does land Joe into some legal trouble. Yeah, by the 1950s, Joe, he finds himself in like kind of this is usually how they get a lot of these guys is like income tax invasion and he was facing like potential for deportation. It, it's weird because like I was did you know this that apparently like even if you make like the money that you make is like illegally obtained, you still have to file it on your income. Yeah, I did crazy. not know. Like yeah. I did like that. That seems that seems kind of crazy, but that's usually how they catch these guys. And they, I've never understood this about the guys. Just pay the taxes like they still make a ton of money. And it's just be like one less thing you have to worry about. You know what I mean? I guess they just, they just get so greedy, you know, like they would still make a ton of money. And I get like nobody wants to pay taxes. But, it, you know, you look like this is how they got Al Capone and this is how they got so and so. And this is, you know, there's a pattern here. Just pay, just pay the money. And then then they don't have a case on that. I just I've never understood that about these guys. It just seems I don't know. It just seems like you're playing with the devil with that. Right? I think there's a bunch of different a because it is illegal money. And then when you launder it. It's a lot of the laundering ways are illegal. So it's really it's hard to keep even in the best of circumstances and you're 100 percent above board to stay completely in the right with the tax man. And then you have all these complicated schemes to launder money, to move money around. It's almost impossible to not be in some way evading taxes. And I mean, yeah. let's be honest, like you said, these guys are evading taxes, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I guess. Yeah. That's sake. I just I don't know. I just think they're I don't know. Hire like a really smart accountant to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like just so the government would have a difficult time making this case. But I mean, time and time again, it seems to be their go to is the income tax invasion. I think it's because it is so loosey goosey that it's a great entryway into breaking open their books too yeah and it's like i i'm from canada so like it's like american tax law is a little it's i don't know it's very i don't want to say it's like very different it's just not something i've really had to deal with right and it changes from like state to state the way you guys do it and like canada it's a little bit more i mean we have differences like between provinces and provinces but like our I don't know our taxes are a little bit more streamlined. I find I know just I've heard like Americans talks about talk about like tax season, and I'm just yeah I don't know I just get bewildered because it just seems like there's just so much to it. Steve here. 
We are a member of the Parthenon Podcast Network, featuring great shows like Richard Limbs, This American President, and other great shows. Go to ParthenonPodcast.com to learn more, and here is a quick word from our sponsors. Now, Joe, he's at the the famous Appalachian meeting. How does and the, the Appalachian meeting is something we will one hundred percent do a much more of a uh, discussion on. But what? How does Joe come out of this infamous Appalachian meeting? Oh yeah, so like the Appalachian meeting was like this giant meeting put together by Vito Genovese or all these top mob bosses from. New York, but like across the entire USA came to have a meeting to discuss, you know, the entire direction of the mob, really like, you know, like what's our stance on drug trafficking? What's our stance on this and that? And it was kind of a way for Vito to, and we, the we, the way he perceived it was to kind of legitimize his, um, his rule because at the time the Genovese family was like by far the most powerful family. So you were kind of like the boss of bosses type thing. Uh, Joe, but it ends up getting broken up, right? Um, the police, uh, you know, they just start wondering, like, why is this guy, Joe the Barber, like, uh, who, like, kind of rented out the area? They knew that he was kind of a mob guy. And it's like, why are all, like, why is there, like, 200 of these guys coming all at once? And they saw all these fancy cars coming in, and they they broke it up. And uh, Joe found himself... Uh, potentially facing like five years in prison for uh attending this meeting but you know joe being uh the lucky guy that he was he ended up doing no time for it then we move on to the probably one of the craziest of crazy things in the mafia we bring in another joe uh that we can very easily keep separated from joe profaci that's crazy joe gallo yeah, it's funny you were bringing another Joe. I was never telling you when I was writing the notes for this. And I was like, it's just too many Joes. It's like, Joe says this, Joe. And then there's more <laughs> Joes coming. Like, it's it's like, just pick a different name, guys. Uh, yeah, Joe Profaci, he was like a successful boss. But he also had like a reputation. Um, and it was well learned, right? For being really cheap to his fellow fellow family members. Uh, Joe Bonanno and like Joe Profaci aren't mustache peats, but they're... I don't know, like the kind of like the traditional mafioso. A lot of these guys, they, I don't know, I just do not like them. They just rub me the wrong way. He had a reputation for being very cheap. And like, he also forced like the, uh, uh the, the guys in his family to like, pay like a $25 a month, like tax to be part of the family. And from this practice kind of makes sense because in theory, it's supposed to be stashed for, you know, in case somebody gets caught or the family finds themselves in like legal problems. It's kind of like an insurance policy, really. Right. You know, like you pay in if you find you find yourself like getting caught with, I don't know, trafficking drugs or loan sharking. Okay, this is why you were paying this tax. We're going to use this money to, you know, hire the best lawyers and. But Joe was just like pocketing the money, right? Like, and from my understanding, the rest of the families weren't even, weren't doing this. This was like kind of a practice from back in Sicily and just really pissed off a lot of people in the family. And on top of being cheap and hoarding a lot of the money. Um, yeah. And this is kind of where crazy Joe and his brother, uh, Larry enter the picture. We have a ton of stuff on Crazy Joe, but really in short, it, it Joe, it crazy Joe, that is Gallo, they're m- mafia and everything except for name that 
Joe, crazy Joe Gallo doesn't get made in all this. He's not even technically in the mafia and he's making a play to be in charge. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of set it up like a little bit. So like, like Joe and his brother, Larry, the, you know, the Gallo crew were very, like they were loyal to Profaci. They were good money makers. They were good earners. They were good enforcers. Um, and Joe Profaci was having uh, uh, trouble with this one mobster, um, Frank Abdomarco. Yeah, he he ran like a very successful numbers game, uh, like, uh, you know, legal gambling and stuff like that. Right. Numbers is kind of I don't know. It's basically the lottery is yeah. really what it is. Right. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That's basically all it was like. But back in the day, like doing like running the law, it seems crazy now. But back in the day, like running like a lottery was like illegal. <laughs> and um you know like, like people would win you know you would win sometimes like the the payouts weren't anything crazy like we see nowadays millions and millions of dollars and stuff like that like your guys get like uh lotteries in the states are insane um close to like almost a it was like the biggest one it's like 500 million dollars i or think something. there was one that was close to a billion dollars <laughs> If not more than that, not too long ago. Yeah, but Frank was refusing to pay the tax to Joe Perfacci. And this, the way Joe Perfacci saw this was like, you're, you're it's a slap in the face of the boss of the family. And it's like a disease. It's going to start spreading to the rest of the guys. And I have to make an example out of him. And apparently Joe Perfacci ordered Frank to get killed. And it's a little murky exactly what happened. Uh, some say like Joe Gallo did it and with the understanding that like if he did this hit for Joe Perfacci he would move up in the family and he would actually start getting like a proper payout and he was going to get um, you know Frank's number uh, uh, numbers racket and you know Frank died and you know let's just say that let's just go with that story that that's what actually happened you know Joe Perfacci you know they reneges on uh, his uh, agreement with Joe Gallo and Joe Gallo just blows a gasket. <laughs> and that essentially leads us into the first Columbo war. Yeah. That's really kind of what sets it off is Joe, Joe not treating his soldiers properly and just being greedy. It's really at the end of the day, all of this could have been avoided if Joe just kind of treated people a bit better and more fairly in terms of financially. I mean, there's a lot we can learn in history from that too, right? Where people had just been slightly less greedy at different points in history. A lot of the problems that they end up facing later could have been really avoided in terms of, you know, we can think about it like not paying, uh, you know, not paying your mercenaries prop properly or soldiers properly. Like how many times is that, uh, how many times can we point to history where that's led to like major problems? And so, the, well, how uh, really quickly to go through this because we'll definitely address these more specifically in uh, up in the upcoming episodes. How's the first Colombo War wrap up? Oh yeah, so just to kind of give a, go through quickly, uh, Joe Gallo like kidnaps uh, high-ranking officials in the Colombo family. He almost kids out. He was going to kidnap Joe Perfacci himself, but Joe Perfacci fled. He stayed in Florida for a bit because he was friends with the uh, Santo Traficante, which is another guy we're going to get into later. He's a big-time mob person in, in the history of the mob. Um, yeah, and. They come to some kind of agreement where, like, Joe is going to release them. And then, 
ends up doing it. Um, but of course, like Joe Profaci being the way that Joe Profaci is, um, immediately reneges on the deal and tries to, you know, <laughs> tries to kill Joe and uh, Larry. And at this point, it's still really the Profaci family. We haven't really moved. It, yeah. it gets backdated to calling it the Columbo's Wars. But at this point, Columbo is what? It, where is uh, another Joe, Joe Columbo? That's like the quick overview of the war. Like Joe Gallo ends up going to jail for like extortion, right? So he's kind of out of the picture for a bit. Like the Gallo, there's still like the Gallo crew, right? Um, yeah, he goes to jail. Uh, I believe it was like seven years he went to jail for. So he kind of, he's kind of out of the picture. Joe Perfacci dies of cancer. Um, I mean, it was pretty, and I think it was in the movie they that we uh, talked about uh, was... They had him in like the iron lung machine oh, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but Joe just ends up, you know, pretty um, unceremoniously, I guess. Like just uh, died of cancer and his underboss, Joe uh, Mangalioko, uh, takes over the family. Carmine Persico is another guy that we're going to get into in a little bit. He he was originally part of the Gallo crew and then he like traded, he um, betrayed them and joined the Profaci faction of the family and like... Yeah, like he, and then they tried to kill him with like car bombs. So like even after Joe Gallo goes to jail, like the war is still kind of going on still. And just kind of put in perspective just how crazy this war was. Like the mob was like had a big no-no about car bombs. You just couldn't do it uh, in the States. And Sicily was a different story um, just because of like the potential of like, uh, you know, hitting innocent bystanders. And then uh, Joe Magliacoco, how many Joes are we up to? Five now? Six Joes? Joe Magliacoco, he's really not cut out for the boss business, and they push him out of the way, and Joe Columbo takes over. So now we're finally at the Columbo family, and that really uh, leads us into the next part of the story. Who is this Joe Columbo character? The way uh, Magliacoco... Gets kicked out of the picture. The, the the commission uncovers a plot that him and Joe Bonanno had, where Joe Bonanno was gonna try to basically take over the commission and, by extension, take over, become like the boss of bosses, and failed miserably. Um, Joe Magliocco just wasn't just wasn't Joe Perfacci. wasn't a remarkably uh, intelligent individual from everything that I understand. Uh, the commission gets him off though, lets him go, kind of go free. Um, the re- one of the reasons, I mean, the reason the, the entire plot, um, was uncovered was because Joe Colombo, his, who was working under, uh, Joe Magliocco, um, he was supposed to perform one of the hits, but instead he, he went to Carlo Gambino and the rest of the fine families and said like, this is what these guys are up to. So he basically betrayed his boss to become the boss. Then Colombo, Colombo settles the family in a little bit. But then as soon as crazy Joe gets out of jail, it's back on. Yeah. So when Joe ends up becoming boss, he was the youngest uh, boss in out of the five families at the time. He was, he was only 41 years old, right? Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, even later on, like they're usually pretty old by the time they get to become boss, right? But it, I guess it was a unique circumstance when Colombo became um yeah, when Colombo became uh, the boss, and yeah, he does a pretty good job of actually kind of bringing stability to the family and like a guiding light. Uh, 
he wasn't like Joe Perfacci in the sense of he wasn't like super greedy and he was kind of a street guy too. He wasn't like the man in the ivory tower. Um, he was on the streets with a lot of these guys, right? You know, still the boss, right? But, um, you know, he had a connection with the, some of the, some of the guys who were doing the dirty work in terms of making money for the family. And, uh, yeah, he actually, he gets an, he puts an end to the, the, um, the uh first colombo war but i mean as soon as joe gets out of the jail he you know he goes to joe colombo and it's like you know you gotta pay me uh was he wanted a hundred thousand dollars or something to end the war and joe's like no i'm not i'm sorry colombo's like i know i'm not paying that are you insane he's gonna give you five grand or something like that and yeah the way joe gallo saw it was like well you guys made this piece but i was in jail i didn't have anything to do with this so in my opinion the war's still going on then joe colombo in all this time he's getting involved in this italian anti-defamation anti league at um that is like an italian american civil rights league and We'll discuss a lot of this. Was this a fake phenomenon that Joe Colombo was trying to do to plaster over and give some respectability? Or did Joe Colombo really believe this? But whatever the case is, it became kind of a thing. It's weird because like he he did such a good job of trying to bring in like stability to the family. And then he does something where he sets up the Italian Civil Rights League, which is like, it's all you guys can go on YouTube and you can watch the rallies and speeches it was all over the news it was a big thing i mean one of the reasons it was a big thing was was like a lot of the unions that the mobs were basically running were like you you know your workers gotta go gonna attend this rally otherwise there's gonna be issues right um but it's weird because like i said he was bringing stability to the family and then he kind of this kind of comes out of i don't know like out of left field really like it would have like kind of the opposite effect of all the work that he was trying to do to fix up the problem, like the mess that Joe Perfacci left. Um, Cause it just brings like such a limelight onto the mob. Right. I, I don't know. Like the way I kind of look at it is like he, he saw like how the civil, like the, you know, the civil rights movement was a really good um basically weapon that you could turn against the federal government and, basically like weaponizing uh, like protesting like for you know to get what you want maybe really, we where use tool might be a better <laughs> tool i don't know right but the way i would say is that's the way i think he kind of saw it where it's like well if i set up this italian civil rights league he's like the fbi is coming down on um us hard if i can make this like an italian civil rights issue i could take the offense to the fbi where they're you know, they're going to stop investigating the mob. They're not going to use words like La Cosa Nostra. They're not going to use the words like the mob and organized crime and association with Italians because it becomes a civil rights issue. And that leads to all different types of legal problems. And maybe potentially the FBI starts taking a step back, you know, in terms of actually investigating all these issues because it's just not worth the potential legal ramifications involved in it you know i don't probably not a popular opinion but if you do look at uh what we traditionally think is the civil rights movement right uh, um you know there was it, you know it got to the point where even some of the not so good stuff that was going on <laughs> going on in it you know in terms of like communists and 
what have you. I don't think that's really even up for debate anymore. Really, that's not really a controversial position. It's just, I mean, the FBI would try to expose some of this stuff, but you know, it got to the point where it just, it was just the P. It was just such a PR nightmare that they just stopped doing it. Oh, then I think you put yourself in the place of then the 19 early 1970s by that point people know the and this is we're getting past the J Edgar Hoover era and this is probably going into different uh different uh sidetracks and rabbit holes that uh we don't want to spend too much time in but it was just after the Ed, J. Edgar Hoover era, the FBI, where the people were actually starting to see the really ugly abuses that the FBI had done to civil rights organizations and all these different groups. And people were kind of sick of it. So I think that Joe Colombo, whether it was, you know, what his mix was, I think maybe he believed somewhat in, in the whole civil rights aspect of the Italian American civil rights rights league but it was also a great business move the more i thought about it because i was like it's such a bizarre thing in mob history it's like really this kind of just comes out of nowhere you know what i mean and then but it really is if it was able to work in terms of like a like an offensive tool against the fbi like a you know like we're gonna take the attack to them instead of um always being on the defensive it's brilliant it's brilliant like it really it could have worked maybe if it happened at a slightly different time uh it could have worked or even somebody if somebody else was doing it maybe not you know joe colombo who was leading it who was clearly a boss of one of the five families but like it really is a brilliant idea now uh, colombo he's actually murdered at one of these rallies and it was probably at the behest of crazy Joe Gallo, which moves us even further into the second Columbo war. How does the second Columbo war wrap up and what's the new organizational structure that comes out of it? Oh yeah. So I got one of the, I believe it was the second, uh, Italian civil rights, uh, league rally. Joe Colombo was shot by a guy named, uh, Jerome, uh, Johnson. He didn't, I actually didn't die immediately. He was paralyzed and I believe he was like on, on and off life, uh, on and off life support for a couple years. And then he died later. Uh, pretty terrible way to go out if you ask me. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, like, uh, there's a lot, a lot of people are convinced that Joe did it, like Joe Gallo, but I mean, there's all different types of theories about, like, who actually did it. I mean, maybe the commission did it, you know, or they, they were sick of this Italian Civil Rights League and the amount of heat that it was bringing and tension. And, you know, they did it. Uh, and everyone just assumed that Joe Gallo would have been the one who did it, right? I mean, uh, the guy who did it was uh, African-American and Joe Gallo was pretty famous for at the time, like working with the uh, African-American gangs, which a lot of the other Italian mob guys weren't uh, really working with. But this guy I did, uh, Jermaine, uh, Jerome uh, Jackson, I did a little bit of research on him. He was kind of like a wannabe mobster kind of guy, like he would hang out at these clubs and stuff like that. So. I don't know. I've heard different things. I've heard people convinced that Joe Gallo did it. I've heard people say that Joe Gallo probably didn't actually do, didn't actually do this. So 
I mean, there's evidence to lend into both perspectives. Now, how does the war end up? So when Joe Colombo is uh, shot and obviously put out of commission, you know, a guy named Joseph Joey Yacovelli was named the acting boss. And uh, but he actually waited to uh, take revenge against uh, Joe Gallo just because of the amount of, you know, this was on TV when Joe Gallo, um, when Joe Colombo was shot. So there was like a lot of heat on the mob at the time. And he decided it would just not be a good idea to, um, take a revenge immediately. Um, and like, even like the, the, like the police were had like men following Joe Gallo around. <laughs> like that's how much heat there was on the, it's so bizarre to be like, like, why would the police care if somebody decided to whack Joe Gallo? He's a career criminal. Like I, but, I guess it, it made the it would make the FBI and the, like police organizations look bad if they just kind of were letting this chaos just run amok, right? That's like I guess that would be the logic behind it. Um, Maybe because of that Joe Gallo murder was so flagrant too, right in the middle of Little Italy, and there's so many different connections. So many people have claimed to do it. Uh, the guy from The Irishman, that movie, uh, he claimed to do it. A couple of other people claimed to have done the yeah. hit. It was such a, I mean, that just brought heat on everybody. Steve here again with a quick word from our sponsors. Yeah, so that well, they waited a year, and then they the Joe like probably one of the most like infamous hits in mob history was you know shot and killed on his on his birthday at Umberto's Clam House, which is, from my understanding, is still open, and you can have a like a meal there. Maybe one day, maybe we'll do like a podcast from there one day or something. Um, I'm sure they probably would. I'm sure they're sick of people doing it. And I think it's not in the same location. There's something else there now. Oh, okay. They're still in Umberto's clam house, but it's a couple of blocks away. So when Joe was killed, uh, Albert Gallo, one of his brothers decided to take revenge and, um, Hired like a hired a hitman, but he ended up killing like f- not the four people that were supposed to get killed. They were like four innocent people. You know, it's just an example. Like we're talking about all these civil wars and stuff like that. Like this is the craziness of the Colombo family. And it was like almost kind of baked into the cake, like right from the get go. And it just continues throughout its entire history. Uh, like at no point does it ever seem to really have like a time to breathe. Um, yeah. So, uh, Joey Yak. He was like fearing for his life, so he he fled. He's like, I I don't want any part of this, right? Uh, um, yeah. But the the Carmine Persico was going to end up taking over the job, but then he found himself in trouble, and we'll get into him. Well, he's going to have his own series where like he's just where Joe Perfacci was very lucky. Carmine Persico was probably the exact opposite <laughs> in terms of like every crime it seemed like he committed, he ended up getting caught for. Vincenzo. Elio, he took over, but he was he wasn't even in charge for like a year. I think he ended up he ended up going to jail himself, right? So you just had like a string of quickly changing bosses, which is just never a good sign for anything in terms of like running a nation or a business or an anything, basically. Really, like you need some stable. You need stable. That's the key: is you need stability at the top. The guy might not have to be. He might not be like the best boss or. 
But if he's just there and he's ready to like, and he's ready to just like run the ship somewhat smoothly, it's better than just having a series of uh, different bosses, especially in quick succession. But a guy named Joey Brincato took over. Uh, he took over for a bit. He wasn't actually interested in uh, being the boss of the Colombo family, but he took over. So like, I'll, I'll help kind of fix this a bit, right? And uh, he was actually able to bring like an end to the to the i guess you can say like the second colombo war but it depends like if you're joey gallo the first one never ended so this has just been going on the whole time right uh i would say like it never really did end like it was just kind of like a ceasefire and just kind of continued right and really this whole carmine persico era of all these different bosses and uh all these different organizational changes and they're trying to do all these different things this all leads into the third Columbo war and we'll try and like maybe not bury ourselves in names in this episode because we can start to sort out these names as we go along into the into the podcast series on the five families and on individual stories. So what precipitates this third Columbo war? Bricado, like as soon as he ends the war, which is they just basically come to the conclusion that uh, the rest of the Gallo crew, the Genovese family is just going to take them on. And that's it. The Columbo war is over, which is I mean, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, I've never really heard too of that happening very often but uh i guess the situation is just so unique and then everyone wanted just the war to end yeah so he as soon as that's done he's like i'm out i'm gonna go do my own thing again while in jail carmine persico was named the boss of the family and thomas de bella was named uh he was kind of like the guy that was in charge of the i don't know the day-to-day operations um yeah, and Thomas, he, in the sense, Thomas was good, was a good, like, acting, uh, acting boss, because he was kind of like the opposite of Joe Gallo and Joe Colombo, in the sense, like, he hated being in the spotlight at all, like, where those two guys were, you know, Joe Gallo was, like, you know, hanging out with movie stars, and Joe Colombo was, like, on TV every day talking about Italian civil rights, you know, like, it's, um, so this is something definitely the family, uh, needed. And this is a little kind of like side bit about the family too, where like the the Gambino family kind of like looked at all this chaos that was having happening in the Colombo family and just kind of slowly started chipping away at their rackets. And this is where I mean, there's many different reasons why the Gambino family ends up becoming like one of the most powerful families, uh, uh, if not the most powerful family at one point. Uh, well, this is one of the reasons they were kind of chipping away at the colombo family uh they were always kind of somewhat close at this time yeah they were chipping they were like kind of chipping away at their rackets and it's just kind of crazy that carmine perisco through all this time period he is in the early 70s pretty much takes over and in different iterations is the fairly much in control until almost the almost to up to this day he dies in 2019 but he still can't seem to bring stability to this organization well it doesn't help when he's finding himself in and out of jail like every couple of years too right like uh, i'm just going through our notes right now and it's you know he was in jail when he was named boss and then you know the thomas retired in 1977 because he was an older guy and he just 
you know, I'm just bad health. It's like, I don't want to be doing this until, you know, the day I die. So just leave me alone. You know, that like he was released, uh, Carmine was released in 79, but then he ended up just going back to jail in 1981. <laughs> you know, like, so he's just, he's running the family. Yeah. But like, how well can you run a family just being in and out of prison the entire time? And, you know, I can only imagine trying to run like, you know, vast, like intricate, uh, uh mafia family and you're doing it from prison and you're doing like you know people like relaying notes and it's like bro i can only imagine like the kind of broken telephone information that, that would be getting down to like the average soldier like they probably have no idea what's going on which probably again because perisco was so in the can so often that just it opened up the feeding frenzy on their carcass to have other groups like the Gambinos just chipping away at them. Now, how does this whole story wrap up? Uh, like I had mentioned, the Carmon Perisco died in, in prison, as it were, in March of 2019. What happens to this family after that? Yeah, so like uh, Carmine Persico, he he gets caught up in the big Mafia Commission trial and like we're going to do a whole series on that and basically from that point on just spends the rest of his life in prison but he you know he's dead set that he was going to run the family from prison basically and he names a guy uh victor arena as like the um as his acting boss really like he's the boss of the streets um and but it was i don't know from my understanding like his carmine had brothers too so like um Victor was supposed to be kind of a placeholder until his brother came back. And this is kind of what leads to um, Third Colombo War, where, uh, you know, Victor is like, he's the guy in the streets. He's actually running the thing day to day. And he starts seeing like Carmine Persico is like, this guy's just losing touch with reality. He's, he's not out here. He doesn't see what's going on. Um, and, you know, Victor Arena, he, like, he calls up, uh, calls for help from his friend like he was close friends with john Gotti, like which is the gambino colombo connection they were talking about earlier to uh, you know help call like a meeting with the at the commission where basically they were asking the commissions like can we just get rid of Carmine persico like he's gonna be in jail for the rest of his life he's never gonna get out can we just say i'm the boss and let's just be done with it um the commission decided like you know what this is an inter-family thing and which is so crazy to me. It's almost like they wanted this to happen. <laughs> We're like, what did you think was going to happen? Like Carmine Persico wasn't going to hear about like Victor doing this. And I, it almost seems like they, they did do it on purpose. So like they, they can keep the Colombo family weak. Um, yeah, they decide like, oh, this is an inter-family thing. I don't, we don't want anything to do with this. I know Victor Arena decides, you know what? I'm just going to call a, like a, a vote with the capos themselves ordered his uh underboss to you know go collect the the votes from the capos and the one capo that he uh his underboss that he told to go collect the votes he ends up telling carmine persico that like victor arena is trying to pull a coup and carmine persico blows a gasket and then so let's uh let's wrap up the story for today as we're cruising to the end what's pretty much the end of the story for the Columbo's. Oh yeah, so this is like kind of known as like the Third Colombo War, and it's it's a big one, right? There's a lot of dead bodies. There's a lot of missing people, a lot of kidnapping. It's uh 
it's actually more violent than the previous two Colombo Wars that we had talked about. So like within like, I don't know, what would you say? Like 30, 30 years has been three civil wars within this family. And pretty much two that never really ended. Like the first civil war, Colombo war really let, bled into the second one. 12 people we know for sure were killed. Like two people were like innocent bystanders. 18 people went missing. So just assume that those people were dead. And like by the end of it, like by the end of this war, 42 members of the Carmine Persico faction went to jail. 14 members of the Arena faction went to jail. I mean, like Carmine's running this war out of jail, you know, like which makes me think is like, what what are the authorities doing? You know, like they must know that he's doing this in jail. They must have some kind of idea because it's a war. Like you figure people would be coming in and out of there all the time. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I just think you would get something on tape or what have you. But basically, like the war ends because Vic Arena goes to jail for, you know, the typical mafia crimes, you know, racketeering, uh, drug trafficking and loan sharking. And that's pretty much the I mean, the. The end of the story really is the it, it all wraps up as just the insanity of this family that they just cannot seem to hold it together and just be criminals, basically, like they're constantly fighting amongst e- each other. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, the Persico, I guess, was, yeah, it was in charge of the family up until like the day he died, like you pointed out, it was like 2000, it wasn't that long ago, right? Um, you know, and like even that third war, I mean, it just kind of, I mean, it ended just because everyone went to jail. Like it would, you know, who knows how long it would have just kept on going if people, not everyone had gone to jail. Um, but like we had talked about the Columbia, I mean, the Bonanno family and like the Bonanno family had, it's problems obviously right you know like donnie brasco like changing leadership and um like a sequence of bosses but in terms of like this all like full-on like civil war that went on in the colombo family it's very unique like the lucchese family didn't really have this type of problem like they ended up having like their their own problems with psychopaths like you know anthony castle and victor muzo but you know, you look at the Genovese family, it's like, yeah, they would have, they had like some internal conflict and, you know, the Gambino family too, but nothing, nothing remotely close to what went on in the Colombo family. I mean, it makes it a fascinating read because it's, it kind of does read like what you see, you know, kind of in like cheap, cheesy, uh, B Hollywood movies about the mob where like, you know, they're all killing each other and it's just constant civil war. I mean, that was the Colombo family though, in a lot of ways from pretty much, you know, from, you know, I guess the latter half of Joe Profaci's career onward, it just never stopped. And so that's where we're going to put a pin on it. And that for this episode, look for more of these five episodes, five families and five episodes. And then definitely look forward to as we deep dive into a lot of these topics, especially the topics we talked today. We'll also look into 
films and movies that depicted these events because that's almost as interesting as the events themselves some of these films that were made about people like joe gallo so i definitely hope that people stick around and give us a try if you like what you're hearing leave apple podcast reviews reviews wherever you go and tell a friend tell a friend so that they can become friends of ours too yeah, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I had fun researching it. And, you know, it's I knew the Colombo family was crazy. I just didn't realize how crazy it was when you start putting it all in perspective. But, yeah, you know, make sure you listen to the next episode. Forget about it. You've been listening to Organized Crime and Punishment, a history and crime podcast. To learn more about what you heard today, Find links to social media and how to support the show, go to our website, a to zhistorypage.com. Become a friend of ours by sending us an email to crime at a to zhistorypage.com. All of this and more can be found in the show notes. We'll see you next time on Organized Crime and Punishment. Forget about it. Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.